Hey everybody, it's another episode of the Culture Implosion Podcast. This is Peter. How's everybody doing? Hope everybody's safe. Getting through it. Here's a little distraction for you, because today we're continuing the uh, Coen Brothers Movie Club into the ninth episode the ninth studio film by the Coen Brothers, The Man Who Wasn't There, starring Billy Bob Thornton, Francis McDormand, Tony Shalhoub, James Gandolfini. It's a great cast. It's, you'll, you'll see when we get into it. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but it's pretty good. Also, I just want to do this off the bat and say we used Zencaster to record this. Had some audio issues with it. You'll probably notice them as we go through. So, um, no one gets paid for this. No one gets paid to edit this. So, we're going to give it our best shot. Maybe try a different thing next time. I don't know. Maybe Zencaster isn't the thing to use. Also, we make a critical mistake in here. We say Tony Shalhoub wasn't in any other um, Coen Brothers movies. Of course that's false. He was in... He was in Barton Fink. He was great in Barton Fink. Everybody loves Barton Fink. We love Barton Fink. So, please forgive us our sins. Um, and yeah. Enjoy this episode of the podcast. Sooner or later, everyone needs a haircut. For the kids, there's a butch or the hiney. The flat top, the ivy, the junior contour, and occasionally the executive contour. Me, I don't talk much. I just cut the hair. You say he was being blackmailed. By who? You don't know. For having an affair. With who? You don't know. Did anyone else know about it? Probably not. You don't know. You want to test something, you know, scientifically. How the planets go around the sun, why the water comes out of the tap. You gotta look at it, but sometimes you look at it, you're looking, changes it. Life has dealt me some bum cards, or maybe I just haven't played them right, I don't know. Life is just so damn wonderful, you almost won't believe it. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. You keep your mouth shut. I'm an attorney, you're a barber, you don't know anything. I'm not proud of what I did, but you, what kind of man are you? Science, perception. Reality, doubt. Reasonable, doubt. I'm saying, sometimes the more you look, the less you really know. Okay. Hey, this is the Coen Brothers Movie Club, Bill. Yes, sir. On our podcast. I guess right now it's called Culture Implosion, but... I don't love that name, so maybe we'll come up with a different thing. This is the sound of me opening a hibiscus Lacroix. Oh, sweet! I didn't. I've never seen a hibiscus. Is that I, one in the tall, skinny cans, or is that a regular size can? Regular can. Oh. Um, and uh, I did not request it, but we are in the midst of a quarantine stay-at-home order, and I just order everything. So my regular peach pear was not available, so my shopper got this for me. Okay. I've never seen the hibiscus in town. Um, they recently added the new flavors I've seen were watermelon and limoncello. Oh, yeah. I enjoy both those. I like the cola flavor, but that's hardly ever in stock. I actually do, too. I didn't think I would, but I actually like that one. I yeah. like it. But we generally get the ones that are in the regular-sized cans because we have this yeah. can rack in our fridge, you know, and they, it doesn't accommodate the tall, skinny cans. Mm -hmm. So, Man Who Wasn't There, Coen Brothers Movie Club, yeah. 2001. 2001. 2001, um, starring Billy Bob Thornton, Tony Shalhoub. Scarlett Johansson, James Gandolfini, Francis McDormand, all the John Polito, John Polito, Richard Jenkins, Richard yep. Jenkins, um, Michael Badalucco. Uh, yeah, Michael Badalucco. Who did he play? Frank. Oh yeah, he was Frank. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, in some ways, it's 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 definitely one of the Cohen's movies with like the highest proportion of Cohen's regulars in it. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got a high it's got a high percentage. It doesn't rank very high on um my my list of Cohen Brothers movies. To be honest with you, like we talked uh-huh. about. Yeah. High tier, mid tier, lower tier. Right. It's it. Uh, I love noir type things, and so you would think I would like this more, but it's lower tier for me. Speaking of, we can you um see this chat that I'm sending to you? That I fa- haven't shown up. I just sent it to you. So this um oh I guess we can on Zencaster. We are using Zencaster to record this. So. I was looking at this. I was looking at this list of um, GQ's definitive list of of like rankings of the seventeen Coen Brothers movies. Uh-huh. This is awful. Like their rankings for things is awful. Huh. They, have, they have Lady Killers at seventeen, Intolerable Cruelty at sixteen. I can kind of understand that. Burn After Eating at fifteen. I disagree with that. It's been a while Hail, since I've seen Burn After Reading. Hail Caesar at 14. Serious Man at 13? That is preposterous. Yeah, that is That's preposterous. preposterous. Hudsucker Proxy 12. I can kind of get on board with that. Man Who Wasn't mm-hmm. There is in at 11. And um, I, I think that's... I think it's it deserves to be 11-ish, I think. It's better than... Yeah. It's better than Intolerable Cruelty. I um, think... Well, it's been a while since I've seen. So I'm thinking, okay, what is definitely below wait, wait. Man Who? Wait, 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 wait. Let me just let me finish okay. out my hatred of of the list of this GQ thing. Okay. Um, True Grit at ten. That's that seems way low. Lewin Davis at nine. Oh, Brother Rout at eight. Yeah, maybe Barton Fink at seven. Big Lebowski at six. What are these people doing? Are you um, fucking kidding me? Six. Do you hear the? Come on, get get in, get it, get on board with me. Six, six. God damn it! Um, Miller's Crossing at five. No, no country for Fargo three. I don't know, man. I think Quite I could. Simple. I think I could. I think I could convince myself to put five movies ahead of Big Lebowski. Huh. Well, Blood Simple two. Okay, okay. Number one, you know, you, you know my feelings on this. They have Raising Arizona at number one. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I guess if we're, I don't know, man. Okay. Anyway, GQ, I'm calling you to task. Yeah. I fucking disagree with you, GQ. Mm. Um. Okay. Anyways, but eleven seems about right. Sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say though about that ranking? Yeah, I would put. It's definitely. I'd say for me. It's either at the very bottom of the middle, middle tier or the very top of the lowest tier. Yeah, yeah. Probably lower mid. It the thing is, I um, it's just it's so long. It's such a long movie, and maybe that's the point. Like, how long is it? Um, it's like two hours long, but it just drags. It it didn't need to be two hours long. It's just so long. Um, and. Yeah, I, the thing is, I I feel like you could I feel like you could call this movie the movie that wasn't there in some ways. Like I I get it, but um I don't know. I don't really want to watch it ever again. What's funny is I thought I had never seen this movie, and then when I watched it, I was like, oh no, I've definitely seen this before. I just forgot completely about it. Yeah, yeah, it's somehow a movie that. Is somehow lesser than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Um, also, none of the lines from this movie, none of the dialogue, really sticks with me. Right. No. None yeah. of the none of the none of the little words, none of the little repeated phrases. It just doesn't pop for me. Um, no. Yeah. For some Which reason. Is, yeah, and that's sort of. Um... That's kind of unfortunate because noir is supposed to have like, you know, like Chandler-esque beats in it where they say a clever line about like, you know, 
legs go all the way up or something, you know, like just yeah. quippy little things. Um, and Tony Shalhoub, in my mind, is kind of the best part of this movie because he is oh, yeah. the quippiest one. He should be in more Coen Brothers movies. It's kind yeah. of weird that this is only one. Yeah, this is his only one, huh? I mean, I can't think of him in any other one. Yeah. Um, he seems like somebody who's been in a bunch, but it's only this one. Huh. Um, All right. Okay. Um, audio trebles fixed. Adjusted, hopefully. Um, yeah, so uh, Tony Shalhoub should be in more Coen Brothers movies for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, he was he was great in it um, as Freddie Riedenschneider. He's the best. Yeah, um, I, I and actually, is this the only Coen Brothers movie that James Gandolfini was in? I think so. I think so. Yes. Gosh, he's. I mean, I, I don't know. I love I love James Gandolfini, as yeah, you know. Sure. I love Sopranos, and man, he was great too. I I wanted way more of him. Um, yeah. So do you know, maybe, you know, this, do you know why there is, um, only either Joel or Ethan gets the actual director credit for movies? No, I don't know that. So there can, um, according to the director's guild of America, there can only be one director listed and in their like official rules and their summary of creative rights link mm. that I found, um, there can only be one director and then, but it says quote unquote with a few exceptions. Okay. So that's why I, I tried to find a direct, um, a direct article that addressed this, why the Coen brothers do that, but that's gotta be it because if they didn't do that, then they, they couldn't, quote themselves as part of the director's guild wouldn't be up for nominations and all that stuff i see yeah so as far as i can tell and from like unearthing that from my memory that's why movies get they, they both direct them everybody knows they both direct the movies but they flip-flop like who gets director credit yeah that makes sense um yeah so little little tidbit little tidbit uh the budget was 20 million for this movie when it okay. came out in 2001 in October, it got 18, it earned 18.9 million at the box office. So I think that's technically a bomb, right? Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's probably a disappointment. Um, then again, I feel like October of 2001, people didn't want to go see a noir movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, is it should they have released it in November, Christmas, November? Like, should they have? I feel like, I feel like movies like this, like, kind of longer period pieces, come out in November and December yeah. to sort of be like, hey, we're the important movie that you need to talk about when you're at the Oscars. Right. Um, I and, was referring to nine eleven. I was being like. I was like, oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. I don't think a lot of movies did badly in that period. I don't know. Ugh. <laughs> the the Oscars for for the for that year, the 2002 oh, yeah. Oscars, Good right? Question. Yeah. Um so Ron Howard won for Beautiful Mind um oh, okay. for best director and the the other best directors were Ridley Scott for Black Hawk Down, Robert Altman for Gosford Park, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive. Okay. <clears throat> a Beautiful Mind won for Best Picture, Gosford Park, In the Bedroom. I've never seen that. Um, In the Bedroom? It's pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Moulin Rouge. Um, and then... I I don't think Billy Bob could have been nominated for Best Actor, but maybe, like I said, if they would have released it in in November or December. But Denzel Washington won it for Training Day that year. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
Russell Crowe, Beautiful Mind, was nominated. Sean Penn, I Am Sam. Oh, boy. <laughs> that goes That's back so to our... Goes back to our, like, uh, when, I, when we were texting the other day, like, I don't think it's okay to play people with mental illnesses like that, mm. that are, like, so uh, affected, I uh, guess. Yeah. Um, Will Smith, Ali was nominated. Tom Wilkinson, In the Bedroom, was nominated. Um, in the bedroom, yeah. Yeah. Um, Francis McDormand had made... What's up? I think Sissy Spacek is in that with... Hold on, I'm going to close. The neighbor is mowing, and I'm going to try to close oh. the window. So. Oh, right on. There's this yeah. man who lives sort of behind us, and I swear to God, he mows like every week. Which I guess <laughs> if you're super proud of your lawn, you mow every week. But it's like, how do you mow every week? I don't know. Yeah, I don't like lawns. Listen to the 99% Invisible podcast about lawns. Mm-hmm. Not good. Um. I'm about to go buy a weed whacker to take care mm. of my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Francis McDormand came off of Almost Famous the year before. Um, oh, James Gandolfini, this was a, he was in, um, you know, most people know him obviously for The Sopranos, but he was in The Mexican, that Gore Verbinski movie with Brad oh. Pitt and Julia Roberts. I never saw that. It's pretty good. It's, it's, um, it's like a low-key uh, like uh, crime movie. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, and then he was in The Last Castle in the same year with Ru- Mark Ruffalo and Delroy Lindo. And isn't, um, uh, isn't Robert Redford in The Last Castle? Uh, I don't know. Um, so yeah. And um, The Man Who Wasn't There it's a movie about a guy who's a barber who wants to get into dry cleaning and kills uh, kills James Jandal- Gandolfini in self-defense. And um, then his wife kills herself. Yeah, it's just kind of a bummer of a movie. It's just a bummer of a movie all over. It's really one of my least favorite Coen Brothers movies. Well, I think that there's some interesting stuff going on below the surface uh, that we can talk about. Yeah, um, but I agree it. that it doesn't, it just doesn't quite, I don't know. There's interesting little questions I have about the movie. Um, and some of the way it is shot is really beautiful. Some of the use of black and white is really good. Um, I like the music. I like the, the featuring one of Beethoven's piano sonatas over and over is effective. In yeah. Um, yeah. Was it, but, what, did it just have uh, too much? Like, like what if we expanded parts of it? Like we were saying, like the Tony Shalhoub stuff would have been interesting. Um, it, the, the, uh, I liked the things with him and Scarlett Johansson. thought that mm-hmm. was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, I wish the movie would have started in some ways, like after he killed, um, big Dave. Big Dave. Yeah. And we kind of just see the result of it. Um, And then we kind of would have to piece together what happened. You know, that might have been a little more interesting. Right. So, Um, all right, here's my hot take. You want my hot take? Yeah. I think we've discussed this before in in our many years of friendship. But I'm pretty sure what the movie is telling us is that Ed is a closeted gay man. And uh, yeah, okay. Because there's all kinds of little hints. So first of all, he didn't go into the army. And it was supposedly because of his fallen arches. But that sounds like a little bit of an excuse. Second, mm. he has no interest. He, he is entirely passive toward his wife. Like, she yeah. essentially dominates him. She said that they should get married. He was always, she, he was al- she was always sort of a beard for him. And it sounds like because of his pretty casual attitude toward the fact that she was cheating on him, he didn't really care. Um, they yeah, and, asked, and they go ahead. She asks him to shave her legs, which is I just feel like a non. That just seems like an odd heterosexual dynamic. Um, he when Creighton Tolliver, 
the the dry cleaning salesman makes the pass at him, mm-hmm. it is a really subtle pass. It is a it is some. I mean, the fact that he sees it as a pass, I think, is an indication that he is on the same wavelength. Wait, can we? Wait, because here's my here. I I watched that scene twice because I looked away and I didn't see what happened, so I rewound it and, and watched it again. It's kind of obvious though. He's laying back on the bed. He unbuttons two of his buttons, and then he like does the John Polito super exaggerated wink with one eye open, and the and I mean one you know winking with one eye and then mouth open. It's pretty obvious. It's like I, suppose, if, I, I think so. Uh, again, this is not gonna be the end all, end all, be all of this topic. But when I saw the movie, sure, the first time, sure. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't recognize it as such. It, was that I when I saw it the first time? I'm remembering years and years ago. Yeah. Was that funny? Was that part funny? I don't think it's supposed to be funny. No. Was it funny to you? No, like like the, it was kind of funny to me because it, it like you said, like, even though it was pretty obvious. There's it, I, I now now I'm now I'm backtracking because it was kind of subtle. I remember it being kind of subtle. It's not like he like grabbed his knee. Right. But right. his his deadpan response, I thought was pretty funny, like barking up the wrong tree, brother. Wrong tree. <laughs> like, like the the weird the weird deadpanness of it. Okay, yeah. but, but I'm I'm on I'm on board with your theory so far. So, and also yeah, that uh, at a couple of key points in the movie, other characters very pointedly ask him, "What kind of man are you?" Right? It's like yeah. he's asked that on two different occasions: once by Big Dave and once by Frank. Um, mm-hmm. And and then there's the whole thing about Scarlett Johansson, who's this like hot young teenager, and then he has she starts to try to give him a blowjob. He has no interest. <laughs> he's like, no yeah. way, you know. And to be fair, of course, maybe he's just a decent guy who's not who is not looking to have sex with a teenager, which is to, which is totally valid. But I just feel like that was a choice by the filmmakers to further uh, to further kind of send this message about the character so the but what about so here yeah i i i I hear you and i and i'm i'm kind of on board with it but let me throw a wrinkle into that right yeah the title of the movie is a man who wasn't there so i think i think your read is totally a possible one but the other one could just be uh, ed crane is just asexual because he's Mm -hmm. getting he's he's if he was if he was attracted to John Polito's character, then um, he could have easily done that mm-hmm. in the in the hotel room, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I maybe what what were they trying to say? Like, what were the Coen brothers trying to say? I think the notion of asexuality was probably like not bubbling around in circles until relatively recently even though i'm sure asexual people have been around forever right so i think i think you're probably right i I think your read is probably the right one as far as like intention maybe yeah but he can certainly come off as asexual i see that too yeah um yeah uh can we jump into the trivia stuff sure all right, I got three questions. You okay, got three questions. I do. Once again, I went for sort of like cultural slash historical references and and in the in the film. So yeah, uh, we'll get that. We'll get to that. You go first. We'll, okay. we'll bounce back and forth. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So the movie features classical music very heavily and includes, like I said, the, these Beethoven uh, piano sonatas. But another reference is that uh, when Freddie Riedenschneider comes into Santa Rosa, which, by the way, is a real uh, city. I, watching the movie, I thought, oh, this is a fictional mm. California town. But no, it's, it's, it's real. Um, he, he stays 
in Santa Rosa, he stays at a hotel in the Turandot suite because all of the suites at the hotel are named after operas. So uh, Turandot was a, an opera written in 1924 by Giacomo Puccini. Uh, Puccini's most famous opera, well, one of his most famous operas was La Boheme, uh, which was the basis for which, like, which of the following uh, hit Broadway musicals was loosely based on La Boheme? Okay. Okay. Was it Avenue Q, Rent, In the Heights, or Cabaret? Ooh. I'll tell you the plot of I'll tell you the plot of La Boheme a little bit, and this might be a little bit of a of a hint. So La Boheme mm -hmm. is about um, artists and poet, uh, an artist and a poet and musicians living sharing an apartment in Paris at like in the 19th century, and one of them falls in love with a woman named Mimi, who is uh, consumptive, dying of consumption. Okay, um, and give me the options again. The options are Avenue Q, Rent, In the Heights, and Cabaret. Uh, because it's so out there, I'll just mm -hmm. say Avenue Q, because okay. it seems like you would put that on there as kind of a, this is, a, this is insane. So <laughs> Avenue Q. No, good guess, but it was Rent. So Rent takes the story of Labo M. And instead of it being about, you know, straight men and straight women in Paris as bohemians, it's about gay people in New York in the 80s. And instead of consumption, uh, it's AIDS. But oh, everyone, oh, the, yeah, that everyone should have the been the red flag. Yeah, yeah everyone in the everyone in the I don't know, I can't speak. Every one of the characters in Rent has a um, analogous character in La Boheme, and they go through similar character arcs oh okay oh it's pretty good <laughs> it was a bit of a non sequitur but uh, no yeah. uh, mine mine are similar similarly non sequiturs all right very good okay here we go okay which of the following characters another give me i'll give you the character okay and yeah which of the following characters was played by the same actor who played a terrorist in a 1986 episode of The Equalizer, the show that originally aired on CBS from fall 1985 until late spring 1989. Okay. Um, and The Equalizer was about a retired intelligence agent. Mysterious past. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the options are Big Dave Brewster, played by James Gandolfini. The character was the husband of Ad Nerd Nerdlinger Brewster, whose family owned Nerdlinger's department store. Big Dave married into the business. Um, but he was trying to start the thing on his own. B, Freddie Riedenschneider, who was played by Tony Shalhoub. Riedenschneider represented both Ed Crane and Doris Crane in their murder trials. C, Creighton Tolliver, played by John Polito, the gay salesman, investor, entrepreneur, trying to get his dry cleaning business off the ground. So, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and even though it's probably too obvious, I'm going to guess Tony Shalhoub because he is of Middle Eastern background. Uh, and so I'm going to guess that they went ahead and stereotypically cast him as the terrorist. That's you. Yep. Yep. You are <laughs> correct. Yep. Tony yeah. Shalhoub played a terrorist in the episode Breakpoint, which aired on uh, February 19th, 1986, first season of The Equalizer. The titular equalizer is attending a wedding reception when the party is suddenly taken hostage by a group of terrorists. And the ringleader was played by Tony Shalhoub. Mm. Um, and uh, they kidnapped a Middle East philanthropist. Yeah. Um, I, again, my see, super non sequitur, but um, I just like the dichotomy of Tony Shalhoub being in this and then being in something as absurd as, as the equalizer. And... I'll never miss a chance to talk about Denzel Washington. So, you know, Denzel Washington is starring in the Equalizer movies that are loosely, very loosely based on the oh, TV show. I didn't right? know that they were based on something. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He it's based off of that that eighties TV show, which is based on some like crime novels from the eighties. But they're the the like iteration of that today is they're rebooting it for 2020 and queen latifah is going to be in the starring role as the equalizer okay which i think i i like i like her i think that is interesting i like queen latifah too yeah yeah when you mentioned denzel washington where i thought you were going for a second was did you remember do you remember the movie the siege starring denzel washington and tony shalhoub Oh, I didn't know Tony Shalhoub was in that. Yeah. Yeah. He plays Denzel Washington's partner. And he's, it's like, it's all about anti uh, Muslim prejudice and everything. Um, Oh. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was from the late 90s. So it was before 9 11. So it's like a sort of like a sort of like a snapshot of America's attitudes toward Muslims prior to 9 11 and how. The whole movie is about how, yes, there really is an Arab terrorist cell operating, but there's also, you know, Tony Shalhoub's character, who's actually works for the FBI, and his son gets arrested for, you know, because he gets swept up for just being Middle Eastern and so on. Um, I kind of like to rewatch it, honestly, because I remember thinking it was pretty good at the time. Uh, isn't Gene Hackman in that or no? Am I getting that confused with like Crimson Tide? You might be getting that confused with Enemy of the State with Will Smith. Ah, uh, yeah. But From I know that, Gene Hackman is in Crimson Tide with yep. Denzel Washington. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, yeah, and I think I think it was directed by Edward Zwick, who, uh, you know, he's still around. He usually directs sort of action drama type movies. Um, I, I It makes me want to watch that movie for sure. Yeah, it does. It was covered yeah. on one of my favorite podcasts, the Friendly Fire podcast. Um, oh yeah, with um um, what's his name from John the Roderick Lost Winters? And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, anyways, yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Should you're, I go do my next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, when they go to the when the characters of Ed and Doris go to Doris's cousin's wedding out in the countryside, it's a big Italian American wedding. Which I found myself in that scene, uh, like the whole, the sort of the whole premise of the scene is that neither Ed nor Doris really want to be there. <laughs> but I saw that. I was like, that looks like a really fun wedding out on a farm. There's a yeah. pie eating contest. I was like, I'd go anyway. So when when they arrive, this little kid runs up to them and goes, Uncle Ed, Uncle Ed, Uncle Frank is riding Garibaldi. He's riding Garibaldi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the gigantic pig. Yeah. He's riding the gigantic pig. All right. So the question is who was Giuseppe Garibaldi? What what was his what is he known for in Italian history? Oh, good one. Okay. A the unification of Italy. B Baroque paintings. C Nuclear physics, or D, uh, playing soccer. Unification of Italy. Mm-hmm. Playing. Uh, name. Say them again. Unification of Italy. Playing soccer. Baroque uh, painting and what we're and nuclear, Baroque painting and nuclear physics. Physics. I'm going to say physics. It seems Ooh. like it seems like it would be. Ah. Uh, I, I, I threw that one in there deliberately to throw you off the scent. Because I thought you might accidentally get it confused with Enrico Fermi, who was oh no, <laughs> I was, just thought uh, I thought uh, it would go along with the the sort of themes of like paranoia and stuff. Uh-huh. Get, that wait, makes sense. Me, give me one more shot. One more. Okay. Shot. Okay. Uh, uh, unification of Italy. That's right. Yep. He ah, was a okay. he was a nineteenth century general and politician who was instrumental in um, you know basically helping to create a unified Italian state by, you know, leading uh, an army against rival armies and what resulted, it's very complicated, but what resulted ultimately was um, an Italian nation state that had never really existed before. 
I should have uh, given your pro proclivity for um, <laughs> like wars and general like histories and stuff, and also yeah. that sort of jives with you would name a pig that it seems like that family would name this sort of gigantic pig. It's it's like naming a big uh, mastiff like Captain or or right. or uh, Patton or something like that. that yeah, makes that's sense. true. Garibaldi also, he was known, he had a cool nickname. Hold on a second. His cool nickname was Hero of the Two Worlds. Because, <laughs> because prior to fighting in the Italian Unification Wars, he also fought in various uh, civil wars down in South America as well. Um, he was sort of like a fighter for the liberal cause in two hemispheres. Huh. Yeah. All right. Giuseppe Garibaldi. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. He lived from 1807 to 1882. Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Swinging the pendulum back the other direction. Okay, okay. Again. Okay. So this is a so this movie is a neo noir, right? Like noir Indeed. movies. I I I I think I'm belaboring the point if I explain what neo noir is. It's like noir was in the 40s or like first wave. This is neo noir. Harkening back to the noir movies from the 40s. Okay. And if I may, I mean, it's the man who wasn't there is kind of a satire of noir, a little bit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you. It's um, like a soft satire. Yes. Okay. So the the you don't get choices with this one okay. because if you know this, it's gonna it's gonna come out right away. Okay. What 1982. Carl Reiner noir movie had the following quotes. And this is mostly just I want to read these quotes. <laughs> okay. So what what Carl what 1982 Carl Reiner neo noir movie had the following quotes. I always carry my harmonica. It's lighter than an accordion and more powerful than a sleeping pill. <laughs> okay, that's one. And then another one is well, it was the only place he could experiment with his cheeses without the smell bothering the neighbors. Ah. Uh, um, another one. My plan was to kiss her with every lip on my face. Um, and then uh, Carlotta was the kind of town they spelled trouble, T-R-U-B-I-L. And if you try to correct them, they kill you. Ah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen this movie. I don't know it. You don't know it at all? I don't know. I didn't know Carl Reiner ever made a neo-noir satire movie. Do, do you want a hint as to the who stars in this movie? Sure. Steve Martin? Oh, no. I haven't seen this. Oh, okay. Dead, well, the answer is dead men don't wear plaid. Oh, <laughs> it's man. a 1982 neo-noir comedy mystery film directed by Carl Reiner, Steve Martin, and Rachel Ward. The film is a, a parody of and an homage to film noir and pulp detective movies never, of the I've, 1940s. I've, I've heard of it for sure, but I never saw it. it I, the, I read back those quotes, and I want to go watch this movie now. Like the, Those quotes are so good. And um, Also, little trivia about that movie, last movie for costume designer Edith Head, who... Oh, yeah. Edith, Edith Head is popularized in um, The Incredibles as that and weird, the, the one that yeah. makes their suits and stuff. Yep, so. yep, 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 yep. So yeah, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, 1982. Right. Another, oh. another satire. Hey, look at the list of people who make little cameos in this movie. Oh, did Holy you look it up? So, name, yeah. name them for me. Ingrid Bergman, Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, Brian because Donnelly, they, Kirk Douglas, well, they, David Gart. Right, right, but they pasted it together with oh. old, um, yeah, with they old footage. So, yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, yeah. I gotta watch this movie now. <laughs> it, it's, I, I love Steve Martin in some movies. In some movies, I love him. But did you overall, see that? Um, I think, did you see that video uh, that Max Brooks made about maintaining quarantine? No. Okay, so Max Brooks, the guy who wrote the book World War Z, is the son of Mel Brooks, which somehow I never knew that until very recently. Um, yeah, yeah, I knew, he, I knew that. But yeah. So he, mm -hmm. so he went over to he went over to his dad's house and was standing out on the patio. It was like, my name is Max Brooks. I'm an author and filmmaker. 
I'm at the house of my father, Mel Brooks. And then Mel Brooks walks up and appears like behind the sliding glass door. And he's like, I love my father very much, but I'm not going to go visit him right now in order to stop infection. Because if I infect my father, he could infect Carl Reiner and he might infect Dick Van Dyke. And the next thing you know, an entire generation of comedians is wiped out. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it is kind of amazing, really, that Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, and Dick Van Dyke are all still alive. Like, they're still, they're, they're hanging on, all three of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that's oh, all. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, next one. Okay. So this movie strongly implies that dry cleaning is a newfangled, never heard of invention in 1949 when the movie takes place. But that was not true. Dry cleaning had been around for quite some time before that. And as a matter of fact, in the United the first patent for dry cleaning was issued by the United States Patent Office in what year? 1799, 1821, 1875, or 1901? Ooh. 1700s seems insane. That was the first option, 1700s? 1799. That seems insane. I could buy mid-1800s, though. Uh, what was the third year that you said? 1875. I'm going with that one, 1875. Okay. Good guess. It was 1821 was when the first patent for um, cleaning clothing without water, but chemicals was issued. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. I looked it up. I was like, because like, I remember thinking this before, like from watching this movie in the past, I remember thinking, was it really in the 1940s? They didn't have dry cleaning, but uh, turns out that that was made up for the movie. Yeah, it seems like it seems like a thing that would go along with like those like um food dispensing things like the, the automat the, the automats, yeah, yeah, laundromats and automats. Yeah. It, it totally seems like that kind of a thing. Definitely. Um uh so here it so this last one I have to admit I phoned this question in a little bit. Okay. Um, but I think it'll still be fun. I'm going to give you a quote and a, a piece of trivia, and you need to name the actor that was in the movie that goes along with it. I can give you choices, but I think I think they're uh, I think they're like obvious enough that you don't need choices. But I can give you choices if you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, all right. First one, quote, I find beauty in unusual things like hanging your head out the window or sitting on a fire escape. Okay. I don't know why that makes me chuckle, but it does. Hanging your head out the window. It's like a dog on a highway or something. Um, is it, is it Frank? Like no, wait, wait, that's, oh. Wait, that's the that's the quote. Here's the trivia that goes along with it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But that's not it. Um, right. And then a bit of trivia about this person. An avid fan of Tom Waits, this person recorded an album comprised entirely of Tom Waits covers titled Anywhere I Lay, I Lay My Head. Um, the album was released on May 16th, 2008, but not widely recognized. And if this is too difficult, I can give you four choices and have it be like a matchup, like match the. Oh, to Scarlett you. Johansson. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Did you know that? That you remembered the Tom Waits so, thing? No, but um, but as a matter of fact, when we were watching the movie, Emily hadn't seen it before. Um, we were watching the movie. She's like, "Oh, this is the era when Scarlett Johansson was trying to do, uh, trying to be a singer, also." Or she made some reference <laughs> to how. Scarlett Johansson nice. tried to become a musician for like a hot minute. Yep. Yep. You got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one. Quote. Here's the quote. And then a little bit of trivia after. Here's the quote. Most of my life, I feel I have been unicycling at the edge of the abyss. In fact, this will be the name of my book if I ever write one. Or uh, 
one man stand up routine. I have used it as the name of a collection of my musical compositions written during the 90s. <laughs> it fits the scary journey I feel I've been on. Um, and then the little bit of trivia is the Coens saw this actor in the New York stage adaption of Death of a Salesman in 1986, and um, they were playing Howard Wagner. Hmm. And I can give you options if you want. So, is, wait, I'm sorry, is this a quote from the movie or a quote the actor has said in real life? Quote the actor has said in real life. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah, no, uh, not from the movie. Sorry about that. I'm going to guess it was Richard Jenkins. No. Ooh. Second guess? Uh... No, I don't have a second guess. John Polito. Oh, good old good John Polito. Good old John Polito. Yeah. I was trying to find some good quotes that he said about this movie. I just love him so much. I He's love good. John Polito so much. He's amazing. He like it. I think we we've talked about this before, like the chewing the scenery sort of mm -hmm. thing. But he does it in a way that is amazing. He's so over the top in every yeah. movie. And it's great. And he just yep. does, he basically does a different version of himself in every movie. Right. Man, yeah, you really got to see the first season of Homicide. It's got, it's I, got like great John Polito stuff in there. The only way I can get that first season is to buy it. It's not, right. streaming, anywhere. It's not streaming anywhere. I, I can't. I hope that gets rectified I, someday. And I got the discs by um, like, the old fashioned Netflix in addition to the streaming Netflix where you can oh, like right, get right, right. DVDs. Yeah. It's not even available there. Oh shit. Yeah. So well, I have you'll to have buy to borrow, you'll have to borrow mine sometime. Definitely. Um, okay. I got two more, two more. Yep. Oh, um, okay. the, the two more quote, quote, uh, trivia pairings. Um, the quote is I like hard rock and classic rock and even metal. <laughs> these they just crack me up for some reason um and then um this actor was in the list of potential nominees well for best for worst supporting actress in the category at the 2006 razzie awards for her role in aeon flux in 2005 but failed to gain the nomination aeon flux feel like the star of that movie is Charlie's Theron. Yes, but I can't I, remember. I, I don't remember. 2006 the, is, is too early for ScarJo, I believe. Yeah. Was it Francis McDormand? It was. Well, <laughs> I cannot <laughs> picture. And these are, by the way, all of our two listeners listening. I pulled these quotes. Maybe they're completely wrong. I hope not. But um, yeah, I can't even picture her being in a movie like that. Yeah, weird. Is no that strange? And I also I can't no picture Frances McDormand saying I. <laughs> I can't picture her listening to metal. Although maybe I can. I don't know. It was just funny. I don't know that that. That's pretty funny. Okay. Um, this is sort of a you'll you'll get this right away. Um, on uh, 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 the quote is yeah, this is way too obvious. I'll throw it out there anyway. Um, I don't think I will do a mafia character again. I want to get away from the violence a little bit because it is starting to bother me personally. And then on an episode of Inside the Actor's Studio in '94, he mentioned banging his head against a wall, getting very little sleep and putting a pointy rock in his shoe as techniques to get really angry. Huh. So was it Gandolfini? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, it would have worked out better if I would have read them all at once and then had you pair them because I thought that I thought that I could throw you off and maybe you would think uh Polito would have said those things. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's our tribute. Best. He was so good. He was so good. I remember that he um, made this documentary about PTSD among soldiers. That was really good. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, it was. It wasn't long before he died. Um, 
yeah, it was like PTSD through the ages. So it started with the Civil War. And it like, because we don't think of, you know, when we think of PTSD, we usually think about recent wars. But what it did was it, they went and they found letters from Civil War soldiers where the, the stuff that the person was writing about is like really clearly major clinical depression or, or PTSD. But they just didn't have, you know, they didn't have the word for it back then. They called oh, it melancholia okay. or whatever. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, yeah, so I don't know. In summary for me, it's just not not one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies and not one I feel like I want to go back to. You know what's the, one of the problems with it is? It's not very funny. I don't yeah. think I laughed out loud but one time maybe, and I don't even remember it what. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it was... It, even oh brother, even like No Country for Old Men is sort of funnier in some ways. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like the the lines from Tommy Lee Jones are yeah. are good. Like it, when he's talking to um, what's his name from Deadwood? Uh, yeah, yeah, Dead like about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. And also, if Tony Shalhoub is the best lawyer that has ever lived, or whatever they made him seem out to be. Self-defense. The minute, just it's a self-defense plea. The minute yeah. he says I killed him, you would go, "Was it in right. self-defense?" Yes. Yeah. That's right. So, I yeah, I, I it, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's the point of this movie. I mean, the point. Maybe the point of the movie is for it to be sort of forgettable. I mean, it's called the man who wasn't there. Um, mm -hmm. oh, did you like the piano teacher's performance? I kind of liked it. What did you think? Yeah, but it was a weird guy. Like, who is that guy? I don't I know. Think, like, he's an actor who, he makes such a big entrance, and he's so over the top. And I was like, yeah. I, I don't recognize that actor at all. Let's he was great. Him up. Yeah. Also, it was an interesting thing, like, sort of historically it's interesting okay here's a black guy a, a, a black french guy being this well-known san francisco teacher in the late 40s it was just sort of an interesting uh kind of entire um like i don't know interesting casting yeah. decision interesting character yeah think. and and a, a rare time that the coen brothers use a black actor, frankly, you know, like they're not known for their diversity in their cast. So, so here's his name is Adam Alexi Male, born in Siena, Italy, to a Sardinian father and a Palestinian Spanish mother, and mm. immigrated to the United States from London, England. Fluent in several languages, he is known for an astonishing facility with a variety of accents, as well as being an accomplished concert violinist, singer, and dancer. Huh. <laughs> That's a lot that he's capable of doing. And they were like, hey, we need you to be a piano teacher. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. He does a lot of voice huh. acting, appears in bit parts on TV shows. Hmm. Where would you, um, how many stars would you give this movie out of five? Uh, three? I think I'd give it three. Yeah, I think that's Maybe. what I look at my letterboxed. I think that's three what I Three if I'm comparing it to movies in general. Two and a half if I'm comparing it to Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> yeah. Sense. Yeah, it, that does make sense. The comparative. I totally agree. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me see real quick what I what I gave it. Um, three. Yep, I gave it three. Yeah, it was just it could have I think they could have just made it 90 minutes and it would have been better. What a here, so here's a question. Um when Billy Bob and when Ed is in the car accident and he's unconscious, he goes and um, remembers a very specific memory uh of his wife. And what he remembers is when he's sitting on the porch and the guy comes over who was trying to sell him an asphalt treatment for his driveway. And she mm. comes home and just tells him to fuck off, basically. Mm -hmm. why, did, why, is that, uh, why is that the memory he goes to? 
Yeah. I think it I think in some ways it parallels what was happening with with John Polito, you know, like mm. another it, he wants to get out of his situation somehow. He has no power. He w- is probably just going to go along with the guy. Like he would mm-hmm. probably just be like, "Oh yeah, I'm buying what this guy is selling." Yeah. Had it had it not been for the forcefulness of Francis McDormand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Could be. But also, but also, I think it adds to your theory that Ed's like a closeted gay guy. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, it's it's not dissimilar to what Coen Brothers do. In, um, oh, you know what we didn't talk about the UFO stuff. Yeah, I know, I, I know, and and I was thinking, even when I was watching it, I was like. I feel like this UFO stuff isn't really working. It's it, it feels it, like them trying to add a layer of bizarreness or mystery in kind of a cheat code kind of fashion. Maybe, but it goes along with the Goy's teeth mm-hmm. in Serious Man. Um, uh, I, I think that's my... I was going to keep going, but I think that's my best example. Um, that weird stuff is in life and it gets thrown into the mix. And sometimes you don't know whether to include it into the narrative or not. I kind of like that. And mm-hmm. I think there's maybe two types of people who like movies there okay. or who watch movies. There's people that like the, the frogs flying, like falling from the sky in Magnolia. And there's people that hate it. Hmm. Like there's people that roll their eyes. at You remember that scene, right? I've never seen Magnolia. Oh, it's really good. Well, I yeah. just spoiled a big part of it for you. I'm sorry. Well, I've heard, I, I um, definitely, if you had said name two things about the movie Magnolia, I'd say, well, I know that there's a frog scene. So. Yeah. It's just it, out of nowhere. You know, it's like tension and realism throughout the whole movie. And then out of nowhere that this one part f- frogs start raining from the sky. Yeah. And just cut like cover everything. Um, but yeah, so I feel like there's two, you're either on one side of the fence or the other. It's like, okay, you know, you're like, "Ah," or you're like, whoa, I really liked this a lot. And I'm, I'm a fan. I'm kind of a fan of that. Like what I, I would have liked more, honestly, like Mm -hmm. in this movie, like what if it was him trying, you know, plotting along and then just these weird things happen all over the place. And Meanwhile, he's just like, I'm trying to do my murder defense. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to throw it in there before we wrapped it up, I guess, because it's a small part of the movie. I mean, uh, Big Dave's wife talks about it, too. Talks she about does. the UFOs. That's true. That's true. And I feel like it's referenced in season two of Fargo, the TV series. And I, I just remember mm-hmm. it feeling more impactful there than in the movie <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's similar you know it's similar to um it's sort of similar in a way to when walter says she kidnapped herself mm-hmm. in um in big lebowski it's so off the wall and you're like super dismissive of it but um then it turns out walter was right <laughs> yeah and and similarly, like, what if she was right? What if that's what that UFO thing was telling us? Is like, no, actually, he did get abducted, you know? That's right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, what, what's coming up next? What's next on our list? Intolerable Cruelty. Oh, boy. Here we go. It's available we're, on we're Amazon. The dark it's, years. it's Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, we've got to do Intolerable Cruelty, and then we've got to do The Lady Killers. I know we're these are the dark days. We're entering the both dark of those. Days. I only saw one time, uh, and so I'm very curious to know how I react to both of them. Um, Lady, uh, so intolerable cruelty is on Amazon Prime, just straight up. The Lady Killers can be rented on Amazon Prime for four bucks. Oh, okay. So I think I can get out. that one. I think I can get that one through my Netflix via mail. So. Oh yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. Oof, well, all right. 
Well, that, that was uh, that was a good one. We'll see, good uh, one. see you. See you next time. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird way. Stay by yeah. your apparatus. Stay Bye-bye. by your apparatus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>